Hello, I am Dave Entz of 188 Community Church, and you have tuned into Listening to Life Together. Welcome to Episode 2 of Season 1 of this podcast. I'm glad you're taking the time to listen. One of the reasons I decided to do this storytelling podcast is, is that I, I, I love and I'm blessed by the diversity that makes up our church community. 188 is a church that has people that come from all sorts of walks of life, and quite deliberately we've tried to form a community that creates space for that. We have people who are experiencing homelessness. We have people who are struggling with addictions. We have retired professionals. We have university students who are trying to figure out what life holds for them. We have people caught in systemic poverty. We have people who are in the prime of their professional career, whether in education or healthcare or those kinds of things. We have people coming out of the correction systems and so on and, and, and so on. And so we have this beautiful diversity, and yet there's a commonality that brings us together, the reality that we recognize that we need each other in order to live life well. And in, and in God, we discover that we, we have, a, have a purpose that is beyond just ourselves, that we can come together for a purpose that is larger than just our individual purposes, and there's something life-giving in that. And so it's this unique and diverse church community that I think has a lot of beauty in it. And part of the beauty is that there are so many different stories. I mean, have you ever looked at the, at the various aspects or, or events of your story, particularly those, those habits or those patterns, those behaviors that you might not be too thrilled about, and wondered, how do I change that? How do I break out of that? Or maybe you ask the question, how did that even become a thing in my life to begin with? I, I certainly don't remember choosing that. And then we have these moments where we proclaim, this is it. This is going to stop. This behavior is going to stop today. And yet, for all the willpower that we exert, it only seems to be a matter of time until we are at it again. Now, it's true. When, when we hear this, some of us will think about annoying habits, right? Like biting our nails or driving too fast. Others of us will think of more addictive behaviors like smoking or drinking or, or, or even overeating. But others of us recognize that there are, there are deeply rooted, damaging cycles of, of things like abuse and drug use and crime that, that have been in our lives and in our families' lives for a long time. How do you break out of those kinds of cycles? And if you're part of our, our community, you'll know that we talk a lot about those kinds of generational patterns, dialoguing together about what is needed to break these cycles, to get a fresh start. And I want to say that we don't want to pretend that we have easy answers to these kinds of complex questions. And yet, in telling each other's stories, we get to hear how others have tried to find ways to break some of these cyclical patterns, seeking to create new life-giving ones for ourselves and for those who come after us. And so today we're going to hear from Alfred or Jesse, depending on when you knew him. And don't worry, we'll explain the name thing as we go along. So he tells the, stories, tells the story of breaking cycles in his own life, recognizing that he couldn't do it alone. And so I pray that you'll be encouraged and inspired as you hear his story. And so bless you. Bless you as you listen to his story. Well, I'm sitting here with my friend, uh, my friend Jesse, 
who I've known for about four years, four and a half years. Yeah, going on to five. Going on five. But recognizing that uh, even as I say Jesse, there's people who are listening to this who won't know who I'm talking about. Because the other name that we've gotten to know you in a more substantial way is, is Alfred. Yep. Yeah, and so and and yet both names have significance for you in your in your story. And you know, there's I have a good story behind that, and I think it should be heard because at one time I was neat, I didn't know who I was. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's good. We'll go. We'll jump back there. Um, but like I said, you and I have known each other for about four and a half, maybe five years through a, a place called Forward House Ministries. And just as an aside, Forward House is a, is a Christian recovery program for men who are either coming out of the correction systems or they've checked themselves in and they, they, they just want to get, get their lives back on track. So it's a residential program. Uh, I think it was three months when you were there, right? But it's six months now, I yeah. believe. Yeah. No, it was six months. Oh, it was six it months still when was, you were there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. But okay. I left at five months the first time. Okay. Yeah. So. so we'll hear more about Forward House uh, as you tell your story. But just as a way of introduction, your so your name is Jesse or Alfred? Uh, I was what? born Alfred Jesse oh. Delbert Stevens. Oh, wow. Okay. My grandma gave me my, my grandmother gave me my name. Okay. But as I was growing up, I was known as Jesse because my mother, who was young at the age, she preferred the name Jesse over Alfred. Okay. Man, I know why, because Alfred sounds kind of old, right? That was my grandpa's name. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. she liked the name she gave me because okay. my grandma named me, so she wanted to give me my middle name as my first name. Okay. So I went by that throughout my years growing up. Okay. And how, so how many years? How many years growing up? Like how long would Ray, people have I known used you Jesse as? right up until I was 28, turning 29. Okay. So maybe let's think about the story that way. Why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about the... Those start years. us out. Tell us about okay, the, Jesse, so, the Jesse story. Okay, so I'll start off with uh, maybe when I was, the first time I got in trouble, when I was 13, okay? Okay, well, I, that's I not was, bad. I was put on probation. My story begins there because that's where I started my life of being in jail Okay. almost every year for little things as far as breaking in and stealing from a store. Growing up, I really didn't have the structure to show me which way to go. Hmm. At the age of 13, when your mom is with somebody who ain't your dad, coming from his point of view, he kind of pushed me away. Now that I look at it, he didn't want me in the picture. He would accuse me of stealing from him and stuff. So it made me kind of like upset and hurt that yeah. my mom didn't choose me, choose him over me. But she also told me that Louis, his name was, he's mad at you, whatever. Oh. He says you're stealing and I'd prefer if you weren't around for him to give him that opportunity. Okay. So that's where I resulted to living from family member to family member, sleeping from couch to couch and stealing from stores to eat and provide for my weed habit and hanging around with the people who I was hanging around with at that age. I started drinking because what else was I to do? I had no guidance. Mm. I, f I, I went where I felt I fit in, where I was accepted. And yeah. that was with the wrong crowd. Did you ever have, like, was your biological dad ever, ever around? My biological dad was in jail. Okay. So maybe I was following his path and I didn't even know it. And he didn't know who he was because he was still living the life that he used to live. And so I was maybe following that footstep of maybe growing up similar to him. I don't know how it went, but, you know, my dad was always in jail. So yeah. now that I look back on it, I'm not surprised I was in jail all that time because I didn't really didn't have that father figure in my life yeah. to show me which way to go. You know, my uncles were in jail, so... It was a normal thing to me at that age. Yeah. So 13-year-old Jesse's moving from family member to family member. 
doing petty crime kind of stuff. Yeah. Spending some time in, in prison. Yes. Uh, w- what else is going on at that time? Or where, where does it go from there? Well, at, okay, now fast forward up until 18, still living the same life, still on probation, in and out of jail. Now I'm 18. Now I'm in adult prison. Mm. I had this dream. They put me in remand downstairs. And then this is where I had a dream that my mother, she passed away in my dream. I woke up crying. Somebody woke me up. Hey, Jesse, you okay, man? You're like really freaking out, man. Like you're scaring everybody. You're crying. Like it sounds like someone's attacking you. I said, no, I'm okay. I just had a nightmare. The next day I woke up. I went and talked to the elder. I said, man, I had a nightmare last night that my mom died. I got her to prison in my dream and I went to her house and my brothers and sisters all lined up, oldest to youngest, all sitting on the couch saying, mom, mom, mom. Then my stepdad came out of the room and said, your mom got into a car accident. She didn't make it. I called him a liar. He took me to the car accident scene in my dream. And sure enough, they told me your mom didn't make it. Hmm. So I said, what can I do about that? He said, you're the oldest of your family. God, the creator, he's preparing you because we all lose our parents. And you're really attached to your mom, ain't you? I said, yeah, I am. She's my best friend. Hmm. She's my confidant. She's my number one homie, if you will, I said. (laughs) You know, she's like everything to me. Without her, I'm nothing, I said. Yeah. He said, well, this dream doesn't mean you're going to lose your mom in a car accident. It doesn't mean she's going to die tomorrow. But this is just preparing you that you're going to need to be strong someday for your siblings. Because we all lose our parents. And you need to be strong for yourself. Because this is just strengthening you saying that, you know what? We all lose our loved ones. Yeah. So I didn't think anything of it. 18 years old. Spunk. You know, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Mom's alive. I don't need you no more. You know? Yeah. So fast forward up until I was 21. Now I'm working, making my mom proud. You know what I mean? Like mom's proud of me now. Her son actually has a real job. He's not in jail. She even came, picked me up, took me out to eat in Dauphin. Like she was so proud of me. Yeah. Someone asked her, where's your son? Working. Oh, wow. You know, like a big different story for her now because now she was able to say my boy's working. I'm so proud of him. Yeah. She was always proud of me, but now she could be really happy that, you know, I was doing something with myself. Right. And I was proud of myself. To see her happy made me happy. So now I'm working my job and everything's going good. She came visit me. That job would have took me a long ways. Working for, uh, uh, building bus parts for America and Canada. So anybody who's ridden a transit bus, there's a chance I painted a part on there. Okay. You know what I mean? So yeah. The reason I quit my job is I might as well say I got fired. I don't think it's more of a quit. And I think I met them halfway because me and the boss's son, his name was Kyle. We decided it was a good idea to do a road trip. On payday to Swan River okay. from Dauphin, okay. which was the worst decision of my life. Oh, boy. Yeah. Because we went out there. We ended up getting drunk. I lost Kyle. He tried to come home on his own. He hit the ditch. Now that the boss is mad at me. Kyle's nowhere to be found. That was it. My job was seized at that moment. Okay. I went and collected my last check, said bye to the guys, you know. And this is 21. You're 21 at this yeah, point. Yeah, 21. I'm 32 now. So that was almost, what, 10, 11 years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, the story continues and... I moved to Winnipeg. I meet the girl. It's not my wife now. It's the girl prior to her. Because now I have nothing. I'm back at ground zero. Mom still loves me, you know, but I don't have the job. And I'm way far away from her trying to live my own life. Okay, now I work, start a job out here doing uh, renovating basements, foundations. You know, so I'm feeling good about myself now because I'm making a little bit of coin. And yeah. I'm not out yeah. here wandering the streets. I'm not out here doing crime. I'm working. Yeah. I have a girlfriend. Staying at her house. And then all of a sudden, on December 3rd, 2008, I get the phone call that changed my life forever. 
my girlfriend at the time, her mom says, phone's for you. And just like my dream, it was my sister crying. The first person I saw when I walked in the door, it was Felicia. She was crying. And she kept saying, mom, mom, mom. I assumed she was drunk. I said, Felicia, you're drunk. Call me when you're sober. I can't understand you. You're just saying mom over and over. Then she put Lyle Audio on the phone. And Lyle said, Jesse, your mom got into a car accident. They don't think she's going to make it. Mm-hmm. And right there, man, everything just stopped. The world stopped. The time stopped. Everything, I went cold, man. I felt like a lost little baby wandering in the streets, just left alone. I, at that moment, I felt my whole self change. Like, it's like I seen myself looking at myself as a second person, scared, alone, and lost because I didn't have that foundation now to go back to. Whenever something was wrong, I had somebody to run to. Right. Mommy, you know? Yeah. yeah. Whenever I felt scared or alone, mommy was always there. Yeah. I could always run to mommy. So she got into a car accident. And the same area as my dream on the number 10 highway, just like the dream, she, where I dreamt she passed away. She passed away on the number 10 highway. She was driving home, and someone was driving a truck drunk, drove into her lane in the night and killed her, head-on collision, killed her on the spot. Her and another person. One guy survived. It was my stepdad, Louis. So Louis survived, and my mom died. And you could probably have a good guess of how I felt about that, you know, like. For sure. Yeah, I wasn't too happy about that. And, you know, like, I was really sad, hurt, and lost. I go home for the funeral, and right away, as soon as I get home, I'm crying around. People are giving me stuff to cure the pain. Take this, drink this, smoke this, you know what I mean? So I'm not really dealing with the trauma. And I'm, I'm covering it now. And just so we're clear, like you're you're not talking about they're giving you a cup of coffee. No, I'm talking you, about alcohol. They're giving you weed, stuff to, yeah. alcohol, weed, and pills. You know so, what I mean? So something to help you cope with yeah, how you're feeling. The hard. way they knew how. Right. That's all. I, it's all they knew. Okay. I don't blame them. Okay. That's all they knew. The only way they could help me with my pain is by being generous. Here, this is all I have. Take this. You'll feel better. And it did. It did numb the pain for the moment. But it was always ten times as bad when I came out of it. Because I don't even, I didn't even want to remember them burying my mom. I said, I don't want to remember this day ever. I said, I said, give me everything you got. I don't want nothing to know about this because this is the worst day of my life, man. So then I went to the bar after the funeral. I'm sitting there. This guy says, why are you crying, man? I said, my mom, man, she passed away and I don't know what to do now. I'm hurt. He said, bartender, give this guy a beer. Yeah. You know, so I took the beer, I drank it and I sat there and talked about my mom a bit. Mm, that's I, I, kind of how I dealt with it yeah, at the time. I find it interesting that you use the word generous in this, saying that people are being generous towards you. And and fair enough, right? Giving you giving you what they know what to use and, and probably probably what, what you're used to using in order to cope with cope with a real a real tragedy. And this isn't really a question I guess, but it really speaks to the significance of of that community that has has raised you, right? Has brought you up, and and like you said, I don't I don't think they were being. This is what you this is what you do. The guy at the bar, right? This is this is yep. what you do, and, and as a way of coping with something that's that's pretty traumatic, which uh, for a lot of people and you included, right? The loss of a parent is a really a really significant milestone in our in our lives. Yeah, in such a tragic way. Yeah, you know, like that is really traumatizing. And I sat there crying. I said, Why, man? I said, why did I have to lose my mom twice? He said, what do you mean? I said, it's not fair, man. I said, I lost her in my dream. 
I cried like a baby. Then I lost her again. Now look at me crying like a baby. I said, that's not fair, man. I said, life's not fair. I said, why, God? And then I was mad at him. I yeah. said, why would you do that to me? Yeah. So is God a part of your life? Yeah, he is this? now. Yeah, but in prior... Grow- well, was at the God- time, I've been to Bible camp. So oh. I knew about God. Okay. But I never really sat down and talked to him or okay. asked him into my life besides Bible camp. Yeah. So he was in my life, but I had him in the back, eh? Like, yeah. He was there the whole time, but I just didn't know it at the time because of the people I was surrounded with and the environment I was living and the path I was going. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, now it's been a while since we've talked about this, but that, I mean, that was part of your mom's, your mom's way of looking at life too. Yeah. There you go. She gave her life to Jesus prior to her death. And that made me more rebel against him even more because I said, why would you do that to somebody who worshiped you? To somebody who gave their life to you, right. why would you take them away from us? And yeah. it was all questions about. It was all questions after that, yeah. like why God, why God, why God. Yeah. And I kind of, I wouldn't say rebelled. I didn't say I hate you. I just said like, why? And even at her funeral, someone came up to me and said, "They said Jesse, you know, your mom would have wanted you to be happy. She gave her life to the Lord. We were there with her at church when mm. she did it. Mm. She would have wanted you to be happy to." To move on, continue moving on. And that spoke to me. I didn't know until years down the road, but I always went back to that funeral. And I always went back to that time. In her wake, they call it. Yeah. Because I can't remember her day, day buried her. But the wake, when her, when they told me that, I always go back to that. And that gives me a little bit of peace. So you're, you're, you're 21. You're coping with the loss uh, of your mom. So what does it look like for you now to, to cope with the loss of your mom, knowing that that's part of... Of, of where life is going for, with you as the, as the oldest child? It was hard because I left everybody behind. I left everything. Okay. Because I didn't want to deal with nothing or nobody. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to run away from my problems. And it meant running away from everybody and everything. And the only way to do that was by leaving Swan River, never going back. To leave behind my brothers and sisters, not knowing how they're doing, hurt me a lot. But you know what I... I didn't know what else to do. Now, I'm living that downhill lifestyle. I met Destiny through a friend. We started talking, and it turned into a real thing. Okay. We started dating. Now, two broken people find each other. You know, we try to make something out of nothing. It worked. You know, we loved each other for who we were. Everything's going our way, but yet, deep down inside, me, Jesse, I'm still struggling with my own problems and my own addictions. I'm in Winnipeg running away. I get into trouble now. I go and rob somebody. Hmm. You know, like we surround this guy. I didn't physically harm the guy because I wasn't the kind of person to hurt anybody for nothing. Okay. I never ever in my life wanted to be the bully or the mean guy. I always wanted to be someone that they could look up to to help because I was lost myself. I didn't know what to do. So now I go, we rob this guy. I get caught. I go to jail. And they didn't like what we did because this guy's traumatized now. You know what I mean? And I don't blame them. And here I am at court crying. I want to see my kids, my son. And my wife, girlfriend's pregnant with my second kid. They said, well, you know what? You're going to have to do two years. We don't care about what you want. You have to serve your time for what you did. Being sentenced to two years hurt me, man. It really broke me. Because now I'm worried about my family. So I do my time for my robbery. I end up going back after that to jail again. Okay, so I go back to jail for other threats. 
I get sentenced to bail. They give me bail instead of time. They said, do you want bail while you're waiting for your court date? Okay. okay. I said, yes. I get put on bail to Forward House Ministries. I didn't know what it was. They called it Forward House, my lawyer. You're going to Forward House. Do you want to go? I said, hell yeah. Get me out of here. Heck yes. I want to go. <laughs> Heck yes. Give me the paper. Yeah. I read the rules. I said, this is worse than jail. <laughs> you can't leave for six months. You can't. Four phone calls a day? Like, yeah. what the heck? I said, this is harsh. Then some guy who's been to the program, he says, I heard you're going to Ford House. Are you going to go? I said, no, nah, man. I don't think I want to go. I said, that place is worse than jail. Did you ever read the rules, man? I said, it's worse, man. You got to study everything. The Bible, whatnot. Like, I don't think I'd be able to do it. And then he says, well, I'll tell you this. If you really love your kids, I think that this place could really help you. Mm. I've been there, he said. He said, it's a good place. Yeah. I know the director. He's a really cool guy. He said, He'll, you'll like it there. Yeah. You're allowed to smoke. Yeah, he's yeah. trying to tell me all <laughs> yeah. the good stuff yeah, now. You know what I mean? Stuff, yeah. You get to go out and do things. and <laughs> It's not as bad as it sounds, man. Yeah. You know, class ain't hard. He said, you just go there, listen, and talk. He said, that's it. He said, think about it. If you really want to change your life, this place will help you. Mm. I agreed to it. I signed the paper. They take me to Ford House. I get there, and I get picked up by Jim. He tells me a bit about himself. He's the driver for the place. He's been living there for a long time and tells me his story. I tell him my story. We connect. And I right away, I had a good vibe. This is, place is going to help me. So I get to Ford House. I do the classes. Everything's running smoothly. Now, court's coming up. The charges get dropped. Oh. They're going to stay the charges. I um, couldn't be more happy. Thank you, God, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, the charges stay. Bye. I left without even before anyone knew it. You know, like I was gone. As soon as I didn't stay the six months, I left at five months. Yeah. Out the door. I'm ready. You know, I got this. I know what I'm doing now. I'm fixed. Yeah. But it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Because now I get home. First thing I do is smoke a joint. Mm. I got my baby and my son. And here I could, first thing I want to do is smoke weed. I love my kids so much. And I realized, you know what? It's probably not the best way to be doing this because something's not right yet. You know, like. Yeah. I'm not cured from my disease because I'm still trying to smoke weed. So I, I really didn't take the program serious. I didn't take the studying serious. I was doing it because I had to. Right. So then next, things happen. Things go wrong. Now I'm spiraling out of control again. My life's not going very well again. I come here. I come talk to Greg and you. And I tell you guys, you know what? Things ain't going good. I need help, man. I think I need to go back to Ford House and or else I'm going to end up dead or in jail and thinking, like, I need help. And then you guys say, well, I'm pretty sure that was you. You said, well, I could phone Peter right now. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not. I don't no, need I, to go I, that I, fast. I, <laughs> you know I what I mean? And I'm out, the, I'm out the door. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. I'm just thinking about it. I then don't I really go out the do door. Yeah. And then by God's grace, I say, I ended up in jail for nothing serious. I'm sitting there waiting for court. They said, you know what? Peter accepted you, my lawyer said, into Ford House. And here, with all that guilt, all that pain, he wants to give me another chance. That meant so much to me. Someone actually believes in me to give me a chance to come back to the program and redo it? Yeah. I was like, wow, man. You know, like, that meant a lot. Okay, I'll agree. So now I get there. Now, Jeff who I really didn't talk to at the time. He came in, but I didn't really talk to him. I just said, hi, bye, answered his questions and left. Yeah. He wasn't a friend. Now he sits me in the room. He said, what went wrong, man? I said, you know what, Jeff? Everything went wrong. I really didn't put God in control and I wanted to do it my way. He hmm. said, you have to surrender 
you have to give yourself to Christ. You have to let him do his work. Follow his way. Yeah. That's the only way you'll overcome it. And I didn't know what he meant by the time when he said, you have to give up your ways, your old self, and become new. Because I was just learning now. I'm st- now I want to learn. I'm listening, okay? I said, I can do it now. I said, I'm ready now. Because I failed. I'm willing to work. Being in jail was scary. I said, I don't want to be away from my yeah. family like that ever again. Those two years away from them hurt me. I'm willing to make it work. So I'm in the program. I start doing the Bible studies to worship God now, to get to know Christ. I asked him into my life. I said, hey, God, you know, I'm here. Show me what you want me to do with my life. Show me which way to go because I tried and I failed yeah. and I'm back here. And I said, I know there's a reason why you brought me back here. Yeah. I said, I know you're not done with me yet. So you've talked about it a little bit already, but what, what do you think is the, the biggest difference between the first time you were in the program and then, like you said, maybe you didn't take it very, not even maybe, you didn't take it very no, seriously. I, and I was there to escape jail. Okay. I wasn't there to learn about God and to let him do his work. Okay, so it was just another way of coping. Another way of another getting Another way note. of distracting yourself from what's really going yeah. on. Okay. Another way to beat the system. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I'm used to beating, doing it my way to escape these things. So now this is another escape plan to get out of jail. Ah, okay. You know what I mean? And so what was different, do you think, the second time you were there? The second time, the way it all it all played itself out, coming here, asking for help, you guys saying, you saying that you could phone Peter and ask him what's going to happen if I could get in there, to me being locked up, put on a timeout, and then accepted back into the program. Right. People call it a miracle. I call it God doing his work. I call it, he has a path for you. You can call it many things. So I looked at it from that point of view now, not from my own. I looked at it from God's point of view. I said, hey, is this the way you're taking me? Then... I'm going to buckle up and let you drive this time. So most people who are listening to this probably wouldn't say that spending time in prison is a way of God bringing you back on track. But you would, would, you, you would say that? I would say when I did those two years, it really made me, it really made me open my eyes because okay. I was away from my family okay. and I was hurt. And the second time being accepted in the program, that opened my eyes saying, you know what? I was crying out for help. And then look where I'm ending up, exact place where... They can help me. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, and I certainly don't want to say that God made you go to prison. Nope. And, and I don't think you're saying no. that. I'm not saying that. No, either. I would never say that. But, but yet, within that time you're there, you see God working in a, in, a, in a kind of mysterious yet beautiful way. Yes. And helping bring something new in your life. Yes. That's and cool. you know what? And to see the fact that I'm back where I can be helped. Yeah. Now I know that I have a chance to start over because that guilt is so much. You know what I mean? When you're living in sin... That guilt brings you down. It weighs you down a lot. Me failing, I didn't ever think in a million years they'd accept, Peter would accept me in the fourthouse again. Yeah. The guy that left early and ended up back in jail. Well, that's the grace we find in some of these places, right? Right. That's found in in actually a lot of places. Found a lot. So when, now we've kind of missed this. Where, where, where Where did the transition to Alfred happen then? Then, like the second time around. The second time around, now I'm Alfred. Now... I'm going by my birth certificate name. And is that deliberate on your choice? On, on your part, a deliberate choice? It's the only time I can acknowledge that I've accepted the name. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. The yeah. whole time I was Jesse. Yeah. But this time around, I gave my life to Christ. I was born again. I was working towards being better. Yeah. By praying, by studying, by talking about it and opening up and letting it all out and letting God do his work. So then I accepted Alfred for who you, that was me, for who I was. I accepted it for myself for who I was. Yeah. I knew I wasn't perfect. I knew I needed a lot of work. And I knew I needed to change my lifestyle if I wanted to survive. 
something clicked, man, that second time around. Something just clicked in my heart and in my head. I let God do the work. Mm. He led me which way to go. I was able to kick all my addictions to this day. Wow. And I'm proud to say to this day. Yeah, yeah, good for and you. And you know what I mean? In 2016, I got off probation again. Four years ago, I got off probation. A guy who was on his probation since he was 13, I was able to get off probation and then be set free. Yeah. I got baptized while I was at Forward House. Yeah. And it was just a relief of weight off my shoulders. God took it off yeah. when I took his hand and let him do his work instead of always putting him in the back seat and doing things my way. So, so explain that phrase, let, letting God do his work. What, what does that mean for you? By doing his will, by loving others, forgiving others, forgiving myself, by wanting to do a better, be, uh, wanting to be a better person by not smoking dope. Okay. You know, by not stealing, you okay. know, by wanting to be just in general, a whole better Alfred. Yeah. You know, because I was Jesse. Now I could use both names. You know, I'm not ashamed of Jesse. I know I made mistakes. I know I made mistakes. I know I did things in the past that I regret. But you know what? I'll never, ever go to that level I was before I met God. Because he took that guilt, that filth, that sin, everything away from me. When I gave my life to him again, this time around at Ford House, that all disappeared. Yeah. So I spent my whole life talking. Now I'm at the stage of my life where I'd rather let my actions do the talking. Yeah, that's cool. You know, you know, you've talked a, a number of times throughout your story about how you, there was different things that you used in your life to cope, whether it be coping with the sadness, coping with your mom's loss, coping with the fact that you don't want to lose, now that you have your own family and you want to break the cycle, but coping with the fact that you're, you feel like you're letting your, your, your children down. What I hear you saying now is when you have this sense of God doing his work in you is that you're past just trying to cope with life. And I think that's what I see in the bringing together of, of the Alfred and the Jesse as one. Like you said, you're not ashamed of, no. of, of what Jesse was. It's not, no. about, it's not about trying to push that away and pretend that never was. Exactly. But to recognize that that's part of who you were. But yet God and what God is doing in your life is so much greater than what you have done in the past. And, and I, I love that. I that, love that is the moral of it. Because now I'm not trying to do it my way and cope my way. Yeah. Once I was able to hand my load to Jesus, that weight off my shoulders, then I was able to love myself. Then I was able to work uh, on myself. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. How are you going to be happy when you're finding your happiness in other people? And God fills that void. When you truly, sincerely surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and do His will, when you talk to Him, really talk to Him and wait for Him to show you what to do, you don't have to hear his voice, but things will happen. Doors will open. People will come into your life. You know, you'll meet different friends, better, positive crowd. Yeah. Everything changed for me from my thinking to my friends to everything. So I, I hear you saying that's, that's what you mean when you say let God do his work. Yes. That's cool. I like that. I'm not perfect. Yeah. I still have my bad days, yeah. but I don't run away from my family. I don't run towards drugs and alcohol. Yeah. yeah. There's cool. different ways of dealing with it now. Yeah. And that's from growing in Christ and learning. Love it. And now, I think back to when they said, you're going to be strong for your others. Now I'm doing it by being a positive role model. Yeah. If I can change, they can change. Yeah. You know, I could sit there and tell them, you need to stop doing this and that. That doesn't mean nothing to them. But when they could look up to their big brother and say, wow, I want to do that someday to quit everything and just take care of his family and work towards being a better person. Yeah. If people bring up my past, I'm sorry, you know. 
if I stole from you when I was younger, whatever, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about it. But all I could do was ask for forgiveness. And when I gave my load to the, to the Lord, that weight of guilt, that guilt is real. One of the friends from the coffee shop, one of my friends Henry introduced me to, he said, Alfred, don't live in your guilt, man. He said, let it go. Don't Give it to Christ. Your, don't live Give it to guilt. Christ. Start over. And those are the words I needed to hear. Because I was like, you're right. It's not the end of it. God's not going to condemn me for that. And why do I feel like, why did I feel like he would? Because I didn't know his love. Yeah. So here we are, 2020. You're married. You've got this, you know, this beautiful bunch of kids. Yes. I, I remember, I remember the day you were baptized, um, obviously, because we were, we were part of it and, and really happy to be a part of it. And I remember you sharing your testimony and you were so excited, man. You were so excited about what God had been doing in your life and the way that he's been lifting that weight. I mean, I think you said that well, right? Guilt, sin, those are real, those are real weights mm-hmm. that, that our body groans under the weight of. And to be set free from that is so beautiful. So let's fast forward a few years. Yes. You and I are, are talking. You're saying, I think we're ready to get married. I think Destiny's ready to get married. And we're trying to kind of try to figure out. And you say, but I don't even know what a wedding looks like. No. Like, what does that look like? See, you're right. Now, me and you are talking and we don't know what to do. And we don't know even know where to begin. Yeah. And then you said, well, get the papers. Yeah. You know, start with that. You know, get the wedding certificate and everything. Yeah. And then Janet Armstrong came into the picture, Greg's wife. And she said, don't worry about the food and stuff. I'll yep. take care of that. Right. So that took a bunch off our shoulders. And then us being married here, that was a lot of relief gone. Like a relief to us. Like, okay, it's almost coming together. Yeah. Then again, it was all talk because then you messaged me. You said, hey, did you get the papers? <laughs> you know, and we didn't have them yet. Yeah. So we yeah. went and got them the next that fall. I said, I'm getting them this week. So we went out there, we got them, we signed the papers, we paid for them, and then everything fell into place lovely because I married the woman I love, a woman of God, and the awesome mother of my children. Yeah. Yeah. Who we've beautiful. been through through so much together. And why did we get married? Because we love each other. Yeah. We yeah. wanted our kids to say, you know, our parents loved each other. They were married. Give them something to look up to. So when they're older, they know the right way to go. We want to leave positive footprints now for our kids yeah. to follow the things that we didn't have. Well, you, you talk a lot about breaking cycles, yes. right? Breaking cycles. And In the end, that's what it came down to. Me talking to God, finding ways to be a better person because I wanted to be a role model for my children and somebody who my brothers and sisters could say, you know what, if we can do it, if he can do it, we can do it. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's I, breaking cycles. Sorry. That's what it is. Yeah, I wish I had a way of explaining to the people who are listening to this the joy that was at your wedding, because we're we're actually in that room right now where you got married at 188, and we you know, the room changed and you guys came the day before and decorated yeah. and that was so and much was fun. fun and we set up rows <laughs> and we had tables because we were going to eat after because like you said <laughs> yeah. Janet and others had put some food together beautifully. I just wish I could explain that joy. We were standing up front here and, and destiny walks in and, and you know, everyone rises yeah. as people do and the bride comes in and she comes down the aisle and everyone 
I don't know if you remember this. Yes. Everyone followed her down the oh, aisle. Man. And we're all, I mean, there was what? There's like 40 of us, yes. I guess, right? And then. And we're all standing on stage. <laughs> Everybody is on stage. There's me. There's the two of you. Yeah. We're trying to do this, you know, the ceremony, the vows, all that kind of and stuff. And I'm trying not to cry. And you're trying. Well, no, you didn't do very well at not crying, which is fine. That's beautiful. Yeah. But everyone's around us just so excited. And that you're crying and they're crying and you speak your vows. And yeah. it was beautiful. It was just it was such a, a joyous occasion. And that was a, a big step for us. Yeah, yeah. Because now we're doing the Lord's will. If we love each other, what do you say? Marry the person you love. So we did that because we want to do things the proper way. Yeah. And that moment in our life is forever embedded as one of the best memories in my head because you know what? To this day, I never ever accomplished anything to that matter. Mm. Becoming sober is one thing. Being a good dad is one thing. But to be getting married, to sign that paper and have that license saying you're officially married, we could say we're married as a couple. Everyone does that, you know, oh, we're married. But you're not really married. But growing up where I was from, people say, oh, we're married. You're not. But we had the official wedding and you guys' blessing. You covenanted. Yes. You covenanted, right? We're one together in Christ. And that's huge. And yeah. that's huge. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. So what lies ahead for you guys? You, you've got a big, actually, tomorrow. We have. You've got a big day Well, now up. with the five children... The they're all in three out of five are in school, so okay. that's that subject. And then now we're working towards getting our license. Okay, we both have our beginners, and we have our tests coming up. And okay. so the game the game plan is to get our license and get into work. She's gonna go to school, and she wants to be able to get a good job because school is important to her. Yeah. So. I'm going to let her do that, and I'm going to look for a part-time job okay. for afternoon, hoping that I could drive, you know what I mean? Yeah. Hoping to see how things work out on the test. And yeah. This has, been, this has been great, Alfred. I'm going to end with Alfred. I started with Jesse. I'm going to end with Alfred, okay. if that's okay. That's perfect. Alfred, Jesse, what is it? Alfred, Jesse, Delbert? Alfred, Jesse, Delbert, yeah. So if you had, you've said a lot of things, and it's been beautiful. What's, what's one thing you want to want to leave people with? Like, what's one thing you want them to know? Out of all of this I said, in the end, the one thing I want to leave people with is never judge somebody. Don't ever judge them because you never know what they've been through. Mm. Another thing I want to say is when you're down and out and in the gutter, don't ever, ever give up. Keep fighting for what you believe in. You can change. Even no matter how many times you fall with Christ, it can be done. When you give your life to God, there's going to be slips there's going to be a few mistakes you make. That guilt's going to weigh on you heavy. I know from experience. Don't live in that guilt. Don't stay in that guilt for too long. Yeah. Talk to a good friend about it. Talk to God about it. Yeah. Talk to somebody you trust, even if it's just between you and God. Let him, give it to him. Yeah. Because he'll take that guilt off your shoulders and you'll be able to walk another thousand miles. This has been, this has been great. I, you, I appreciate Dave. you. Uh, I appreciate. I mean, I love. I love your passion, man. I love it, and uh, I, I so appreciate you be willing to share your your story. And I'm so excited about what lies ahead for you as a family, for you as a dad, because I think you're doing a great job. Yes. But for you and Destiny, and and the fact. I mean, we baptized Destiny about you know what a summer and a half ago. Yeah. Or whatever it is. That was a big beautiful. Step for her. That's mm -hmm. beautiful, and we're just so excited about what lies ahead for you as a family. Good luck in your driver's test. Thank you. You do. You can do it. You got it. You've, you've, <laughs> when I listen to your story, this driver's test is nothing. You've got this. You've and got you know this. what? That's going to open a lot of doors for us because yeah. we're at that stage where we're ready to work and to move forward in life. Beautiful. Thanks, man. Thank you. You're welcome. 
Well, thanks so much for listening to this storytelling podcast from 188 Community Church. If there's something here that you'd like to interact on or have questions about or want to comment on, feel free to connect with me at dave at 188.org. That's D-A-V-E at O-N-E-8-8 dot O-R-G. And you can find out more ways to connect or you can find out more about who we are as a church at our website, www.188.org. Again, O-N-E-8-8 dot O-R-G. And on the website, you can find out about our Christmas gift campaign. This is a very practical, tangible way for you to help support the work that's going on here at 188 and help us help us stay present uh, in downtown Winnipeg, particularly in this tough economic climate that we find ourselves in now. So please check that out, and any support you can give is really appreciated. And again, my name is Dave Entz. Thanks for taking time to listen, and much grace and peace to your day.